What's going on, everybody? Uh, I am your host, Tony Calgene, and this is the Stay in the Fight podcast. I have a very exciting episode uh, planned for you today. I am here in Asbury, New Jersey, or Asbury Park, New Jersey, Asbury Park. Uh, with my good friend, AJ Schaffler. Um, we're going a little bit outside the box today. Uh, instead of talking to a football coach, I'm talking to someone who works in uh, a, an athletic office. Athletic administration. Athletic administration. All right. Uh, as you guys can tell, we've known each other for a long time, so uh, I hope you guys don't mind all the intrusions. And Do you ever not have like an exciting podcast for the, for the group? Is that just how you open up everyone? More or less. Okay. But... Um, <laughs> Larry David right there. <laughs> AJ was uh, a football player with me in, in high school. He was actually my center my, my junior year, then an outside linebacker uh, my, my senior year, or our senior year, I guess. Um, he went on to go play uh, lacrosse at Susquehanna University, was an All-American, transferred to uh, Mount St. Mary's. Wasn't an All-American. Wasn't an All-American there. I appreciate there. it. Oh, you weren't? No, it was all conference, but it wasn't all American, no. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> but anyway, was a, a great athlete, always had an interest in football and then uh, in college athletics. So uh, he's now the Associate Athletic Director for Compliance at Monmouth University. AJ, what's going on, man? Um, what's up? How's, uh, how's everything going? It's going well. It's going very well. Just to make sure we're on the same page, transferred from Susquehanna to Mount St. Mary's, my little Division One university. But I did get to play in the NCAA tournament. I was a backup to an All-American, though. Okay. I was a backup goalie. Yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah. Well, just since this is a little bit different than some of the uh, other podcasts that I've had, you know, we've had mostly um, college football coaches, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, what does an Associate Athletic Director for Compliance do? So if you're a Division One football or just a Division One coach, you know, itself, hopefully you've, you've spoken or at least know who they are. The people in your lovely compliance, your lovely compliance office. Uh, what we do uh, depends who you're talking to on, on how to explain this. So I'll explain it to you like I'm explaining to my mother. I'm very similar to like an in-house attorney in some regards on NCAA issues. Uh, you don't need to be an attorney to do my job, although a lot of us are lawyers. Um, but we monitor all the recruiting activity. We advocate uh, in certain situations for the coaches and student athletes. Um, we uh, determine and evaluate everyone's eligibility depending on whether they're freshmen, transfers, or continuing students. Um, we do a number of things, uh, all in regards to the uh, massive amount of NCAA rules, um, including writing NCAA rules. I haven't written any yet, but um, we're part of that legislative process in a way as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I am, I am the office that people go to to ask a million questions and solve problems. That's what awesome, I like to man. think I am. A lot of people think I'm a police officer. Um, that's okay, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, I try to fancy myself as the uh, problem-solving department in athletics. Absolutely. No, it's, yeah. that's awesome stuff. And obviously a big, important part of the college football process and just the, the college athletic process in general. Yes. So, um, tell me a little bit, you know, when did you know you wanted to work in athletics uh, or, you know, college athletics? You know, tell me a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so when I was at the Mount, I was a major in sports management. I always kind of knew I wanted to work in sports. Um, the original dream was to be a sports agent after watching probably Jerry Maguire and, and seeing all the cool stories about what sports agents do. Um, that was the original dream. And then I got into law school. I got into law school. Um, I'd like to think via a sports agent named Tony Agnon. 
Uh, his, uh, his biggest client was Michael Strahan. Um, and he actually went to the Mount and he wrote a, a letter of recommendation that was about four or five sentences right to the dean, who was his buddy. Um, he said, I know AJ, uh, let him in, he's a great kid, and I think I got my acceptance letter within two weeks. Um, he said my acceptance had nothing to do with that letter, but uh, I, I highly doubt that. But uh, he was a great guy. Um, and then I was like, all right, then let's go be a sports agent. Got into law school, and I realized everybody wanted to be a sports agent. Um, not everybody, but way too many. Um, I ended up working for a sports agent, a guy named Ira, named Ira Rainis in Baltimore. I went to the University of Baltimore for, for law school. And, uh, uh, and he, he told me how tough and competitive it is. And I started hearing more stories about people who wanted to be sports agents or people that wanted to be or that ended up being general managers in uh, in in certain sports programs for the Giants, the Ravens, whatever. And, and I started kind of to learn that you kind of have to be more lucky than good in a lot of situations. Um, and I didn't want to put my chips into a pot to where luck had so much to do with it. Mm. And while I was in uh, at the Mount, um, our compliance person also went to law school and was a lawyer herself. Uh, she's actually now the SWA over at Wagner, who's a, she's a great person. Um, but um, I didn't know why the, she was a lawyer and was working in compliance. I didn't really understand the correlation. I didn't know her very, very well. Uh, with what she did professionally, but I did know she was that she had that title. Um, so I looked into that a little bit further and, and realized a lot of compliance personnel and a lot of compliance administrators on campuses were lawyers. So I ended up doing an internship at Coppin State University, uh, my 3L year, my third year in law school. Uh, learned I loved it and decided right from then on, this is what I'm going to do. And it has been a long journey since that um, with a lot of, and I think you're going to ask me questions, a lot of low-paying jobs and a lot of, a lot of interesting situations I found myself in. But uh, yeah, that's, I, 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 after that first internship, I learned I kind of loved it. And the goal is to be an athletic director from there. Awesome. Um, still is the goal. I know you're going to ask me about that, but still is the goal. Um, <laughs> and uh, you'll see, we'll see if I get there sooner rather than later. Awesome. So it was in law school that you kind of had this transition going from an agent to more in the, the athletics office at, at the college level. Uh, what were your first steps to, to get your foot in the door at the college level? Uh, and how did you like really break into the profession? Yeah, so the he wasn't the dean of my law school. He was at one point, and then he stepped down, so he was just a professor, but I still called him dean. His name's uh, Phil Clotius over at the uh, University of Baltimore. Me and another student who were in the same grade, we went to him and said, we kind of want to explore this compliance thing. And he had a million contacts. He was actually, he used to be a sports agent himself, from what I understand. Um, and he basically said, listen, I know a lot of students who come here to kind of break into professional sports. He goes, the way of the future is through college right now. He goes, there's always jobs. It is competitive. You're not going to get rich by any means, especially not the start. He goes, but there are jobs there. And if you hustle, you'll be able to get one. And I was like, well, I have a lot of student loans. I think I do need that job. Um, so that's kind of the person that directed me into the profession. And then he made one call to, the, to uh, Coppin State University to uh, a guy he knew. He's named Derek Ramsey. He was the AD over at Coppin State. He also played, I believe, for the Patriots. Um, and for the University of Kentucky, I think he was the first black quarterback at the University of Kentucky, I think. Um, very well-known guy. And then um, 
he called him up, said, hey, why don't you interview this guy? I went in there, I think, like the next day to interview. They said, yep, you'll be working with our compliance person. And that was kind of the end of that on, on how I broke in. Uh, it was unpaid, as you'll find a lot of things in college athletics are unpaid for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the experience I needed um, to kind of move on to my next steps, um, which were still unpaid. But um, it was uh, that was a good way to break in. Uh, I, I had I used my resources and... I was fortunate enough to have resources to kind of break into the break into the field. So tell us a little bit about how, you know, recap your, your career for us a little bit. So you, you broke in at Coppet State, you know, where did you go from there mm. and, and what led you to, you know, Monmouth University? Yeah, so it's definitely a marathon. Um, so finished my internship at Coppin State. Uh, then after that, I was prepared to do a couple things. Um, I had signed up to take the bar in the state of New Jersey, where I'm from. Um, wasn't sure if I was going to take it if I had gotten full-time job offers. What I ended up doing, and I'll never forget it, I uh, made a massive Excel sheet and got it, all the contact information of 207 colleges and universities that I was interested in working in, all Division One, usually bigger schools and a number of FCS around the Northeast area. I sent them all a resume, a cover letter, my references. I made business cards, and every single one of those Packages costed like a dollar fifty to two dollars to send out, so I spent a ton of money <laughs> on sending all those packages out, and I got zero offers from those jobs. But at the very least, people knew my name. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it went to the actual applying to jobs that actually had openings. Um, I applied to uh, an unpaid position at Stanford University. Uh, I didn't even get that. And then I applied to an, a paid internship at the University of North Dakota. And that was my first job offer ever. Um, and at the same time, uh, Professor Clotius was working on a, uh, sending me a deal with a Power 5 institution. I'm going to say which one it was because it didn't work out. But uh, a Power 5 institution to send me and my, and my um, law student uh, or my, my um, classmate to go over to this Power 5 institution and work there for free pretty much for a semester. And then it was a Power 5 institution, so he's like, you'll get a job right after that. That actually fell through, but I got the University of North Dakota gig offer and I turned it down to end up taking the bar. It would have been for about, I think, $13,000 for the year. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was an amazing experience. Um, And I'll circle actually back to why it was super important, why I was super good at formally denying it and I was like thank you so much for the opportunity but I'm just I'm not going to take it I ended up taking the New Jersey bar hoping something would matriculate after I ended up taking it August 1st and nothing happened and I actually circled a date on a calendar of September 15th of if I did not have a job or an internship or anything by then I was going to actually walk down to uh to one of the military recruiter offices I think I was going to join the Marines um, and just say, you know what, let's, let's do this path. You know, college athletics didn't work out. So I continued to send my resumes out to, I was living with, in my grandmother's basement because that's where I studied and took the bar. You were there many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of work as well. Um, and then um, I sent my resume out to a couple of places. And one of the places I sent was Seton Hall. And the person at Seton Hall knew the person at Columbia and forwarded my resume to Columbia, the, like the one school in the area I did not send anything to. And I got a cold call email that night by a person named Jennifer Lawler, 
who's now my current boss at Monmouth, so everything circles back, and said, listen, we need, a, we need an intern. I said, I'll, I can do it as long as you can pay for my commute, which is about 400 bucks a month to take the train up and uh, get a subway pass. And she said, we can do that. And I did that for nine months. And I bartended in the city while I was doing it. And that was the poorest I've ever been. Um, but it was probably the most fun experience I ever had. I mean, talk about, I knew how to hustle. At least I thought I did. Um, but that was hustling to a totally different level to try mm. to put some eggs in your stomach for breakfast. Uh, and I was running around like a madman between the Upper West Side and uh, anywhere in New Jersey that'll give me a gig to, to coach lacrosse lessons. I was stringing nets. I was stringing lacrosse goals for a second for like a thousand bucks for like two months. That was a thing. Um, yeah, I was doing whatever the heck I could to make a buck. Awesome. So you broke into to Columbia um, by way of just, you know, just grinding and you know, staying on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did you go from there? So after Columbia, I applied, or while I was at Columbia, I applied to every single job I could. Um, but there weren't a ton, I remember there weren't a ton open, uh, maybe like five or six uh, while I was there. And uh, that, w- that were actually entry level jobs that I would be able to, you know, p- potentially get. And I applied to a job at Fresno State out in California. And it was a job I knew I wouldn't be able to get because it was a financial aid specific gig. Um, so if you're understanding, if you have an understanding of the NCAA rules, there's a million rules, but they're also broken up into specific categories. And bylaw 15 is financial aid. And this is going to be a bylaw 15 uh, specific gig. Now, if you know anything about Ivy League schools, they don't give athletic financial aid. So bylaw 15 can pretty much be thrown out the window for the most part, at least 90% of it. So there's no way I was getting this job. Um, but the person who was at Fresno State, uh, who, was, who was the hiring person, she was director of compliance, was the compliance coordinator at the University of North Dakota when I actually got that job offer. So I emailed her. I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me from about a year ago or so, um, but I, I interviewed at the University of North Dakota. You offered me the job. She's like, of course I remember you. Um, I'll, you know, uh, I'll, I'll find your resume. I interviewed for the, for the job at Fresno State. Um, I did not get it as expected, but I made a good impression. And sure enough, the other that was for the compliance coordinator for financial aid position. Sure enough, the other compliance coordinator at that get at that uh, school was leaving about three weeks earlier. She called me and said, "Listen, you're not going to get the financial aid gig." I go, I, "Of course, I know." Um, but we have this other job opening up, same level. It's just going to deal with recruiting and initial eligibility. And she said, I think you'd be perfect for it. Would you, would you be interested in interviewing for it? I interviewed for that. I got flown out there after my phone interview. Um, I loved it. They loved me. I think they loved me because they offered me the job. Um, I was in the Hammerstein Ballroom bartending um, when I got the phone call and I had to step out. Um, and uh, I accepted it on the spot. And they said, all right, when can you be out here? I said, uh, probably about, I think, 20 days or... 15 days, something like that. My mother and I drove across country from New Jersey to California, and I was there for, I think, two years and eight months, something like that. Got a nice little promotion out there at one point. Um, And yeah, and so that's, that was my first real job in the, uh, in the industry. Yeah. Awesome. So where where did you go from there? So from uh, Fresno State, I was feeling a little homesick, and I took a job over at Stony Brook University 
for their compliance coordinator for eligibility and recruiting. Um, and it was coming from a F- FBS school, a group of five school, which, uh, which had a ton of, I was on, you know, ESPN was there, all that stuff, going all the way to FCS, which is a CAA school. And it was definitely a, a transition, uh, but I certainly loved that FCS level. It was different. You had to deal with different issues. Um, but I, I dug it, and Long Island is where my father's from, so I knew people out there for the most part. Um, but I was only there for nine months um, because my now boss, who was my previous boss over at Columbia, she had then gotten uh, the job over at Monmouth University as the senior associate AD for student development. So she oversees compliance and academics. She said, hey, we, uh, we're looking for an assistant athletic director for compliance. Ours just left. Um, if you know anyone, let me know. I said, uh, I'll, I'm interested. That's home to me. Um, that's the Jersey Shore. I love the Jersey Shore. Um, I interviewed. I went on campus. I actually was also interviewing at a couple other places. And I'll never forget it. The, the evening I was driving back um, from Long Island to New Jersey to stay at my parents to then drive from my parents to Monmouth for an interview the next day. Uh, that evening, I, I had just gotten done with an interview at Indiana University about a week or two prior. And they called me and said, hey, we'd like to offer you the job. And I said, I'm actually interviewing at Monmouth. They knew I was a Jersey person, a Jersey guy. Um, so I said, can you, just give me, um, can you just give me a few days? Let me go through this interview. And they're like, absolutely, of course. I totally get it. Um, the money they actually offered me was less than what I was making at Stony Brook anyway. So I was like, you know what, it's, it's an easy kind of let's hold off on this real quick and see what Monmouth comes comes back with um if they even want me um and then when i got to the interview um I, I did my thing and at the end of it i talked to jennifer i said listen um i don't need to know if i have the job right now i know you're actually interviewing two candidates after me but if there's any way you can tell me that i don't have the job if you know the athletic director just hated me in some manner just tell me if i don't have the job i'd really appreciate it because i do have another offer on the table um but i would rather work here and so I actually had a wedding that weekend, went to the wedding, heard nothing back from Jennifer, called Indiana uh, the Sunday or Monday after the wedding. I said, hey, um, I think I'm going to turn you down. Um, I don't have the job at Monmouth, but I, I did ask them if, if they knew I wasn't the guy to let me know. Um, and they haven't told me that yet. And then I waited anxiously for a week. And then uh, on a Friday afternoon, Jennifer called me um, and said I had the ticket. I, I uh, had the gig, and I was there within two weeks. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I think, you know, obviously we've been friends for a long time, and I've, I've known your story about, you know, where you've, you've gone. I didn't know all the ins and outs, um, but I think you did a really, really good job of, you know, building some connections and then using those connections and just staying in contact with people in it, you know, it was kind of like, you know, a monkey, like swinging from branch to branch where like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you had this, this, this network that, that you built and, uh, you did such a great job, you know, staying with that network that, you know, those people were able to, to reach back out to you and, you know, want to vouch for you and, and kind of bring you along. So, um, that's, that's really, really important. Uh, you know, not only in college athletics, but just in, in life, you know, if you get out of, you know, coaching and whatever, um, just, you know, continue to, to work on that network. So, um, you know, similar to college football, you know, college athletics, you know, there's, there's a lot of money at the top, but there's, <laughs> there's a lot of people working underneath that, that aren't, you know, making a lot of money. 
Uh, do you have any you know good stories from you when you were making you know little to no money? I'll um, I'll tell you what I was making. <laughs> so <laughs> sure. Um, no, I'm not gonna tell you what I'm making now, but <laughs> I'll tell you what I was making in my first two gigs, um, or at least. I was making, um, at Columbia University, I mentioned it, they were paying me, and you got to remember, this was a year out of law school, so everyone's like, yeah, no, your lawyer probably making like, what, 70, 80, 100? I'm like, oh, no, I'm making uh, zero, but they're paying for my train ticket (laughs) and my my subway passes, and they let me go take another job whenever I wanted to. So while I was working at Columbia, that's what they are giving me. And then I was working in Midtown Manhattan, uh, bartending at the Hammerstein Ballroom, which had, which were, which was very cool. Um, I bartended for Steve Aoki. I bartended for because it was a concert venue. I bartended one of his concerts. Bartended Howard Stern's birthday party. That was crazy. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, and a number of other things. And then I was stringing nets in the month of October, November, and that guy paid me a couple bucks. And then I was doing as much lacrosse lessons. As many lacrosse lessons or, and working as many lacrosse jobs as possible because I know a lot of lacrosse connections here. And that's what pretty much kept me afloat. And my favorite story, I think I ended up staying up like 30 hours or something like that. You can figure it out um, because I'll go through it. I, w- I would wake up. I'd catch the 7.30 a.m. train to Columbia. It was a Friday. Caught that train. Worked at Columbia. Came down. Um, and then I went right from that to bartending. I bartended at the Hammerstein Ballroom. Um, you don't get off until about 4 or 5 a.m. because you got to put everything away. Damn. Um, got on the tr- first train out of Penn Station, um, or got on the first train from Penn Station to Linden, which is where I was living. Uh, that was, I think that was like the 5.21 a.m. train. Ended up getting on that train. I've done it twice, and this just happened to be one time. I fell asleep on the train, woke up at Metro Station in Edison, which was two stops, one or two stops after Linden, had to get into a taxi, got into a taxi, got all the way back up to Linden, fell asleep for about an hour or two, maybe three, because I had to be in Basking Ridge at noon, which is about an hour away from Linden, to coach an hour lacrosse lesson. Coached the hour lacrosse lesson, went all the way back to Metuchen that Saturday to then coach like three hours of another thing. And then finally I was home, I think around like five o'clock. Um, and I, I mean, you can do the math. I think I was, I think it's around like 30 hours um, outside of those few naps. Um, but that was a wild day. And I think I did that once or twice outside of the sleeping on the train and missing it and having to take the taxi back. Mm, um, but that was fun. Uh, and it was literally just to make sure I had food for the next week. Um, yeah, that, that was, that was, I was poor. And then, but it was so much fun, man. Uh, the, the, that nine months was a lot of fun in London. And then um, I went out to Fresno and I remember they're like, we're going to offer you $38,520 a year. I said, that is way more than I'm making right now. I said, is health insurance covered in that? They're like, yep. And I'm like, our travel um, expenses covering that? They're like, yep, up to like 10% of your salary. So I said, oh, I can do that. And uh, I got out there, made that for a few years. And then it's grown a bit since then. Um, I'm certainly not rich. (laughs) By any means, still got. I still struggle to pay my student loans, depending on the month. But uh, um, yeah, no, it is not. It, this isn't a game for anybody who thinks they're going to be, 
you know, one of the upper person, one of their friends in their upper twenties, you know, partying a lot in you know rooftop bars and just throwing down a ton of bills. Um, that life isn't going to happen if you try to get into college athletics because you're probably not going to be able to do that. And you're going to go, hey, can we just stay in my apartment and, you know, have a couple instead? So, yeah. No doubt, man. No, I definitely, uh, I know the struggle for sure. So tell me, you know, sitting back, looking on it, you know, could you, could you do it all over again? Could you go back and, and work those 30 hour days again? Yeah, I probably could. I, 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 honestly, it was, I think it was most fun because you were around the area. We had a number of other friends around the area. So on those days off, we'd all come over. We were all in our mid twenties. Um, so we'd have some cheap fun, um, and and we'd just make it work. Yeah. Mm. We had no money. I had no money in my bank account. Um, but I think if it, if I was in the middle of nowhere, Ohio or middle of nowhere, Kentucky, like by myself, I think that'd be a different story. Um, or North Dakota for all that matters. Um, but, uh, I think it was because I definitely had, um, a network here of friends and family Mm. that made it a hundred times easier. Um, if my, the big question is if I didn't have my grandmother's basement to live in, Mm. would I be able to do it? That I don't know. I don't know what I would have done if that resource wasn't available. Um, Maybe I would have figured out something. I probably would have taken the North Dakota uh, North Dakota job, actually. Uh, but uh, who knows? No. I mean, I think on, on a lot of these previous podcasts, the one thing that uh, a lot of it really comes back to is having a really strong either like community or like just a support system behind you that helps you, you know, make ends meet until it, it finally takes off for you. Uh, and I'm happy that it did. Um, so... You know, kind of pivoting to the future, you know, what's what's the dream gig and, you know, what's your next step in your career to, you know, get to that, that dream goal? Yeah, so I I hope to be, I plan to be. It's certainly a goal as opposed to a dream uh, of being an athletic director, hopefully before I'm 40. Um, uh, the original plan was to be one by like 36, 37. I don't know if that's happening, but, um, it, you know, that that's the route right now to be an athletic director. Um, I want to be an FCS athletic director. I, I think that's where I'm best suited. Um, but honestly, I'll, I'll take, you know, I'm not going to pass up AD jobs at the divisional level, um, uh, even if it's non-football or whatever. Um, how to get there right now, I think I'm, in, I'm halfway through this marathon to kind of get there. Um, right now, it's, it's work my butt off and, and make sure I'm taking advantage of every opportunity that presents itself. Um, there's about you know, 10 different ways I can veer from right now. Um, I'm just making sure I don't, you know, miss those opportunities when they, when they happen. So it's work my butt off for my coaches, work my butt off for my AD, uh, work my butt off for my student athletes. Uh, try to get enough sleep, try to, you know, don't grind too, too, too much and burn the candle at both ends. But, uh, um, you know, just, just do the right things and, and it should happen and, uh, hopefully get a little lucky. Absolutely, Lux. Always, always involved in it. Um, no, that's that's awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, so the last little piece that I always like to end with, um, you know, because there's gonna there's somebody out there right now who you know maybe they're a football coach, maybe they're not, uh, but they they want to transition to just you know athletics or you know maybe they they want a little bit more family time or something like that, but they still want to be connected to athletics. Yeah. You know what advice would you give? 
to that young person, that person making the transition, um, just, you know, whoever, they're just starting out in, in college athletics. Yeah, so number one, I'd probably say figure out what you want to do and really, really have an internal conversation with yourself on what that is. And if you're like, and then there's, within those paths, there, paths, there are rules, right? If you're like, I am going to be the next head coach at LSU, or maybe not the next one, but an, a, the coach at LSU or Rutgers and one of these Power 5 institutions, that is awesome. Understand, be prepared to not make a lot of money at the beginning, to grind, and also be prepared to move a lot, right? Like you're gonna be, you're you're gonna be in Kentucky one one year, you're gonna be in Ohio the next year, maybe two years, Minnesota the next two years. Um, it is a grind, it is a marathon, it isn't a sprint, um, and it stinks, and it may end up you know affecting your personal life, it may end up affecting your family life, whatever. So understand. If you're good and you just want to have an amazing football coaching career, but you also want to raise eight kids, you know what? It may not be the worst thing. I'm not saying it can't be done at the Power 5 level, but it may not be the worst thing to go, hey, I think I want to start looking at Division 2, II, Division 3 jobs, high school jobs, right? At the end of the day, sports are sports. Um, it is absurdly cool. And, and as Ira Reynas, my sports agent, was like, it's sexy. It's a sexy field uh, to be in college athletics and, and FBS or just to be in athletics in general. And FBS and the Power Five are the meccas of those. Um, don't diss on Division Two and Division Three, and that goes to student athletes as well. Don't diss on Division Two or Division Three or FCS levels. Not everyone needs to be a Power Five student athlete. Uh, not everyone needs to be a Power Five coach to have a really really good life and really really enjoy what they're doing. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that's that's really really well put. Um, and for a lot of people out there, you know, they have the dream of of the big Division One job, um, but they're very very happy with their life right now. Uh, and you know, you could cause a lot of external stress, um, you know, trying to achieve that. So, mm-hmm. like we said before, you really really have to have that that full on support system. A lot of people have to be behind you um, in order to make that thing work. So, yeah. uh, it's not as simple as just you know getting lucky or something like that. So. But awesome, uh, AJ, I, I appreciate your, your time and you being on the podcast. Why don't you uh, give the people your Twitter handle so they could reach out to you? My Twitter handle? You got rid of it? No, no, I have it. I don't know what it is, though. It's, I think it's AJ Schaff-Lesk. I don't know. To, you just, I don't know what it is. All right, I'll, I'll tweet it. Uh, and I, post, anyone... I post more about like student loan stuff than anything. But yeah, anybody <laughs> who wants to, to reach out to AJ, I'll, uh, I'll add him to uh, this post. A, no, it's just AJ Schaffler. AJ Schaffler. There you go. Awesome. Um, so if you guys have any questions, you know, feel free to, uh, to reach out to him. Uh, but uh, a guy who's done it and, and going through it and, you know, we're all rooting for uh, one day. So uh, appreciate you guys listening to the podcast uh, and take care. Until next time, uh, this is Tony Calgene signing off. See you.